There's only between three and five board meetings that really matter to the eventual outcome of a company. And you don't know which ones. Is it? <laughs> so you better show up. Yeah, you got to show up. You got to be prepared. <laughs> Welcome to REPOV. A show in which we record the conversations we're already having amongst ourselves. Our entrepreneurs and industry leaders for you to listen in on. Maybe I'll, I'll offer you guys an observation, which is that I think if you if you look at the continuum of some pretty colossal crises over the last four or five years, or going back even further, if you look at kind of the, the Theranos governance debacle, the lack of governance at FTX, and just the for lack of a better word, the governance circus at OpenAI over the last 10 days, I th I think it raises some fundamental questions about kind of governance in the venture-backed company ecosystem in the present era. And certainly in, in some of those situations, participation in, in the investment was something that a lot of people saw. A lot of people wanted to invest in those companies at certain points. And the founders were able to hold investors at arm's length, dictate terms, basically not form a board in, in the case of, uh, of FTX. And if you, if you turn it forward to open AI, there's clearly some stuff that's not in the public domain about what happened, although some, some, some of that perhaps is coming out. But you, no matter what, you have this circus of a, a CEO being fired and employees rebelling and threatening to leave and a board trying to walk back that decision and then rehiring the CEO. And I just I feel like we're living in an era where certain investors and certain firms have found a way to get comfortable with not being on the board, not having a role um, in, in some pretty high profile companies where there's a lot of money at stake. And I wonder what that says about where our industry is. I wonder what our perspective on this is as a firm. And I, I wonder what our, what LPs are thinking right now. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just interesting because I think there was like, you know, over the frothy times leading up to the eventual reset that we're going through, kind of still going through, and it's, has taken a long time to work its way through the snake. There was this kind of general sense that like, oh, VCs are are the kind of enemy, the, the people that you want to like pull out all their teeth and make sure they have no say. And and obviously there's a there's extreme examples on both sides of that, right? And we tend, you know, they, and they tend to be pretty dramatic where either the board or the CEOs kind of drastically overreach, right? You have Sam Bankman-Fried just doing whatever he pleased with very little oversight. And then you have, you know, the open AI board as the, as the kind of counterpoint where it's like, the board completely, you know, maybe not overstepping because they're like technically allowed to do all these things, but just going in the exact opposite direction. And it feels that the actual lesson that needs to be learned is that, you know, there is a cohesive and harmonious way to run a board. And those are rarely the examples that make the headlines. Like nobody's actually talking about the incredibly well run board and governance structures. It's just the ones that go 
crazy awry. And when they go crazy awry, there's these big blowups when there's tons of money on the on the line. Like I'm sure there have been plenty of blowups on, on at a smaller scale, but they're just not in such important companies. And so it's such a interesting way to kind of examine where do the boundary conditions lie? Like where where are too far in terms of board oversight and power and vice versa, right? When is there not enough insight into all these things? And I know you guys, I mean, I've been um, fortunate to be on 10 plus boards for as an observer from basically like my first day here, just shadowing um, Stu and a few of the other partners and, and now serving on the board myself. You guys, even longer period. I'm just curious, like in the context of all the boards that you guys have been on and served on, like what are the big takeaways that you have from uh, the OpenAI case and and the Theranos and, and FTX ones, if it helps kind of serve the point? Yeah. I mean, I, I think... There's actually a more fundamental evolution of boards that I think people are just not cognizant of when they construct boards. I think just like their staging of companies, you have company that's trying to figure out, they have an idea and they're trying to figure out whether they got the idea is going to work. <laughs> you know, is there a market for it? You know, can I get one customer or can I get 10,000 people to download a, you know, consumer app? And then you evolve to another stage where you're like, okay, let me, see if I can get repeatability. You know, now that I got one customer, enterprise customer, I got 10,000, you know, downloads. How do I get to 100,000 downloads and users or 15 customers? And then you go through scale, you know, where you're scaling and it's all about the knobs and dials and, you know, put a dollar into marketing and you get this money leads, you put a dollar into sales and this, you get this much revenue and dollar into customer service and you get this much turn reduction. And then it's about orthogonal scale, which is, how do I add product lines? How do I globalize internationally? And I think, you know, the reality is that's a well understood mechanic, but boards need to evolve through all of those stages. I don't think people actively construct boards. I think what winds up happening in the venture world, at least, is you get a lot of duplicative board members. Um, you have three or four people on the board that have very identical experiences and very identical thought processes. You're not sitting there saying like, well, yeah, you know, I want this investor in here, but you don't necessarily say I want this level of, I have a gap in my, you know, financial acumen, or I have a gap in my sales and marketing acumen. I have a gap in my HR acumen. How do, how do I get a board member in here that's helped, you know, scale businesses? So I, I think companies fall into this stuff. Because they're just looking for, you know, quote unquote, top tier investors or highest valuations. And they're not thinking about the board as a long term play, one where you want different skill sets. So you don't have three or four people chiming in it only during the budget and never any other time. And so, you know, that, that's my opinion. And, and, I, and I do feel like, you know, just like you have a roadmap for your company. You ought to have a roadmap for your board to some extent. And like philosophical alignment, it seems to be kind of like the underlying piece here a bit is just like, you know, and we don't have all the info. I'm sure there's probably going to be stuff that comes out over the coming weeks, uh, just given the drama. But, you know, philosophical alignment among board members, like what are we all trying to achieve here? And, you know, you definitely want to have a diversity of skill sets, but you also want to make sure that all of those skill sets are kind of heading towards a common goal, which is easier said than done. Like you might you have a lot of like vestigial board members sometimes where it's like, you know, it's like people kind of jump on this 
on the ship and grab an oar at different times. And, you know, sometimes your early investors invested in a dramatically different thing. <laughs> like, I remember, you know, you were on the board of, of Bitly, Raju, where it was like, this is originally a consumer company. And, you know, it ended up really taking off in the, in the B2B side. But it meant that, like, all of the early investors might specialize in a completely different, you know, go-to-market motion and, you know, expectation of what their outcomes would look like. Then, you know, seeing all of that take off on the B2B side, um, obviously, you want to see that everybody is aligned, you know, quote unquote, philosophically around making money. But, you know, that that might be the last thing that they're aligned on is like kind of a difference in, you know, which direction should we take this and, and what should the company look like? I agree. And I think a lot of those those differences only come out when a board has to get active. You know, boards are inherently pretty passive until they have to act. And, and very often that's that's. It's a, they're, they're in a very reactive posture. When we were doing some of the board development work for uh, for two of the public companies I'm involved in, we, we we focused a lot on okay, what are what is the role of a board? And and one of our GCs has this wonderful phrase. It said boards need to be nose in and fingers out, in the sense that the board's smelling kind of what's going on, but they've got to keep their hands outside. Uh, and that's true. Until it's not true, when the board has to act to intervene, as the OpenAI board felt that they did, they suddenly have to become an organization. A board suddenly has to step into an active mode. And unless people have really done some team building and, and made a commitment to that board as an organization and have a clear understanding of their role, it's probably going to be really messy. So one of the things I've I've really focused on a lot with my companies over the years is thinking about how a board becomes an organization when it needs to make a decision like a CEO transition and how that's going to be run and managed because people have to take on new responsibility and they have to accept their role. Not everyone can lead a CEO search. Not everyone can handle the details of the transition. And, and, and moving into a mode where you are an active board I think signals a, 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 a moment, obviously, in the life of the company, but in the life of that group of people. And if you've never been through that before, and, and all of us have been through it many times, it, but if you've never been through it, it, it it's, a, it's a novel, weird experience, and, and people are probably going to make mistakes. And, and particularly when you have a situation, and I think this is the case with the OpenAI board, where the director is just by and large, didn't have that much experience of other boards. It's not surprising. Usually the active mode is a shock to the business, not you shocking the business. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So (laughs) it's like COVID is usually the shock to the business where you you have to really jump in, make, you know, help help the team look after the long term success of the business and all the, you know, for the shareholders and the employees and all the constituents that are involved. This was seemed like fairly Poor judgment on on kind of all fronts. I mean, I think there was a there was a bit of like you know, in a, Ben Thompson was talking about this that it was like there was this immediate thing where all of a sudden Sam Altman was like the world's best CEO and he was the next Steve Jobs or like the existing Steve Jobs. And you know, there was a little bit of controversy around Sam. He was you know there was you know reports about Paul Graham having to you know remove not remove Sam, but basically you know took Sam out of Y comedy. And, you know, we don't know all the details. I'm not speculating. It's just that we don't, it's not that Sam was removed and therefore he is the best 
thing to happen to the world. It's it's more that um, it clearly was a decision made kind of in this fantasy world of isolation where this was like clearly going to work out and this was going to be the kind of best decision because the board knows best. That <laughs> clearly <laughs> didn't end up being the case. I think OpenAI is an amazing company. I'm, I want to see them succeed. We are unfortunately not investors. But, you know, what I don't want to have happen is like, the reaction to a shock tends to be like the opposite is true. And I don't believe that's the case, right? Like great board governance isn't at one end of the of the barbell or the other. Because, you know, you get to the thing where it's like, you know, you get the Theranos and FTX, which were, were different in a lot of instances. Those were both fraud cases as well. There's no um, indication that there's fraud going on or any any nefarious things going on at OpenAI. So we shouldn't bucket them too much. But that's, you know, it, it is kind of like two ends of the same spectrum where you have you can have these like massive blow ups, which is unfortunate. I, you know, the funny thing is like, yeah, what's the board's responsibility, right? It's like, there's only a handful of things that they're really responsible for, right? Basically, the strategy of the business alongside the company um, make sure that we're executing around it, right? You know, build a budget, make sure you're executing around it. And then the big responsibility is you're trying to protect shareholders. You know, that's that's your job, right? Your job is to represent and protect shareholders. And when you first create companies, most of the shareholders are sitting around the table, <laughs> which is, so you're, you're just like working cooperatively, right? Okay. So we're in you know, RRE invest. And, you know, there's another venture investor and there's a bunch of founders. And, you know, yes, there are a bunch of uh, employees that have common stock and, you know, stock options. And but they're really represented by some of the founders in, in many cases. And then you grow and, you know, you have some shareholders that aren't sitting around the table and then you you know get public. And, you know, your job becomes protecting those shareholders interests. And so you've got to do different things. Right. And, and, and that's the problem. Like boards tend to just grow with the business as opposed to sitting there saying, like, now we have very different sets of shareholders and we've got to make sure that we're protecting their interests as much as we're protecting the you know sort of VCs that are effectively invested. And I think when you look at you know, the FTX situation, the Theranos situation, it's obvious, right? Like there's a fraud <laughs> situation. You have to make and I, I think that there is like when you have fraud or lies in a board, that's where the show stops and the board, you know, needs to figure out whether it's legitimate as opposed, you know, you are still innocent until proven guilty. But, you know, if there is guilt, then you have to be radical about it uh, as you figure out. And I've been through this, frankly, you know, so I'm on public boards and private boards and there has been situations where you know, the board's been lied to or. Yeah, there's been fraudulent activity and, you know, that's it, you know, you know, buck stops there, you kind of step in, you, you know, basically take over, you know, some level of operations of the business at that point and determine what's going right and what's going wrong. Um, but, you know, besides that, it's, you know, the other three things, it's, you know, are we executing on the strategy or we hitting plan and, you know, are we effectively, you know, protecting the interests of the other shareholders that aren't represented at the table? And this was such a, I mean, to be clear, like such a weird case anyway. It's not like this, obviously, OpenAI started as a nonprofit and there's a lot of like, you know, kind of hangover from originally being a nonprofit. Elon Musk pulls out his funding, says, I'm not going to fund this thing anymore. So they had to become a for-profit company. And so 
you know, they, they kind of transitioned from an old structure to a completely different structure. And, you know, we had the instance where like Microsoft doesn't serve on the board, you know, it is mostly you know, contributing a, a huge amount of their $11 billion investment via cloud compute costs. And, you know, also it's been made public that Thrive doesn't have a board seat, at, you know, despite investing huge sums of money as well. And so it's, you know, it is it is such a, a crazy edge case. Like, I don't think there are probably many, you know, startup boards that <laughs> have all of those incredibly unique characteristics, but it is it is a time to think through governance and what is it, what does it mean? When can it come into play? You know, ideally, how does it serve the best interests of all involved, right? And having a cohesive and a harmonious board that, you know, is involved to the right level, is helping the company become the best company it can be, and working with the team, not against the team. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll disagree with the harmonious, Jason, just for That's fair. That's maybe it's the wrong adjective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely cohesive. Yeah. I love the cohesive word, right? Like, the best boards I'm involved with, the best, you know, the board talks outside of the company. They have worked together before. Just, you know, it's just a pleasure to work with them. You know what each board member is good at. And you're kind of like, and you trust them. Like, hey, you know, like, hey, you, you know, blocking and tackling, Bill Belichick, right? Like, do your job, right? It's, if, if each board member has kind of a task and they're, you know they're good at it and you trust them, man, that works. But harmonious doesn't always work because there is this tendency. You need, you need some conflict. That can be healthy, right? I, I, I agree with, I, I think that's what you're getting at, right? Yeah. Is like that it can't always be just about happy-go-lucky. Yeah. Um, and it's not going to be, right? Um, and that, and you're actually bad if you are always agreeing. Your job isn't to agree all the time. I don't, I wouldn't use that expression, Jason. What I would say is that there's a tendency for board members to go along with the rest of the, you know, like the herd. Right. Instead of speak up, you know, and that's where, you know, you want board members when they do disagree to speak up. And, and I, I think it's important. No, it's important. That's a good clarification. I think it's worth highlighting the fact that for us as a firm, cer certainly for our, our primary investments, there's an expectation that we will likely be on the board. In many cases, we end up serving in a lead director capacity. In all cases, we're active and engaged and doing things to try to support the growth of the company, whether it's been all the myriad things we do, you know, helping plan the next round of financing, recruiting people, dealing with questions of strategy and sequencing and, and asking hard questions about burn rates and that sort of thing and bringing all that pattern recognition that we have. But it's worth saying, you know, there, there's another school of thought out there, which is to leave that hard work to other people and, and to just invest in, in growing technology companies and assume that governance will sort itself out over time. And I think what's sort of shocking to me, and just to sort of bring us full circle in this discussion, is to look at the scale of some of the companies we've, we've talked about earlier, the scale of the dollars involved, the scale of the commitments made by certain firms, and and to, to wonder how they got comfortable with with not having any meaningful governance. Well, that's pretty clear to me, at least. I mean, like, I think in times of exuberance, and, you know, I was talking to another venture friend about this recently. It's like, just in times of exuberance, like, this this stuff seems to always happen. You go through the crypto hype, and there's all sorts of wiring money to anonymous Ethereum wallet addresses, and getting, you know, it's like, you know, when, when there's just a huge swing in 
upside potential, you you tend to have this kind of frenetic behavior and a way that's just like, you know, it's more important that I'm in than I think too much about like what, how am I managing my risk? And I, you know, I don't think like this was as crazy, right? Like I think, you know, it's a real company of 750 employees like that, you know, if, you know, I'm just talking specifically about open AI, but I think there's, yeah, these, these times when, you know, there's, there's these massive technological shifts and, you know, the venture markets become a lot more professional, has a lot more money to you know, to slosh around and, and invest. And, you know, we're going through a little bit of a reset as it is. And and AI is like this this brand new thing that that will transform the future of technology. Like there will be a pre and post transformer world. You know, the attention is all you need kind of paper. But uh, yeah, people are desperate to be a part of that. I agree. But there's also another thing that happens, which which like Theranos is a great example of, right? It's it's almost like, yeah, like I, I oh Ari's on the boards, though, you know, they got it, you know, yeah. and I don't need to be on the board. Right. And so or, hey, man, this, you know, secretary of state is on the board. So therefore, it has to be good. Right. It has to be well, you know, run, well executed, well or whatever. And so people just like kind of assume <laughs> it's the transitive property of diligence yeah it's like well you know <laughs> you got this kind of stack of trust where it's like well if they invested then it's got to be you know yeah I, I totally and just, what you're just so for clarity to our listeners we do our homework you know <laughs> and and like it's because we've been in business for 30 years you're not going to stay in business for 30 years as a venture firm if you don't sit there and say, like, you got to do some diligence to, you know, primary diligence, your own diligence and your own thinking and your own support of the board and your own. But yeah, a lot of firms, they're young. They've only been around in the heyday. And they're like, I mean, what can go wrong? It, you know, what's crazy about that expression? If you look at the, you know, amount of investment that happened in the last 15 years and the amount of positive outcome that happened, there were very few just destroyed company destroying events and so people got comfortable with that like if i don't have a board seat what are the odds even if the odds are low you know it's an acceptable risk and the reality is you know it's not an acceptable risk <laughs> it really isn't yes you'll move a little slower but you know at the end of the day you're doing the right thing by all your shareholders well and also and i agree i mean there are kind of like my generation of VCs who are all now, you know, a lot of them GPs or started their own firm. There's a certain amount of like, you also got to see what great looks like. And that means like, there's not a, despite this being an amazing podcast on board mechanics, like there's not a good way to learn it without just kind of seeing it first and then doing it. And the only way you do that is joining, joining boards and then really realizing that one of, you know, if you're going to be a lead investor, that one of the key things that your of your job is to be kind of a student, like a lifelong student of the board of like what it means to be a great board member and how to help companies. At least that's that's the way I think about it. And, I'm, you know, I've had great fortune to be on a number of very functional, very effective boards with some really sharp board members. And I'm always thinking like, oh, wow, they had this insight that I didn't come up with or think about to ask, but it actually revealed this really interesting strategic question that we need to think about or potential roadblock down the road that we should talk about that's going to take a lot of preparation. You know, it's it's really, you don't kind of get that through an HBS business case. Like it's, you know, you can only read so many of them until 
you're looking at it. And, and the unfortunate reality is that I think a number of boards are mediocre or bad. And that's that's made it, we should probably try to open source a little bit more like how to be a great board member and what a great, because people don't talk about that, right? They're always talking about the tech and the, which obviously is the most exciting part, not the board mechanics, but there's a certain amount of like, what do great board members do? What, how do they think about their company? How do they engage with their company? You're so right, Jason. I, you know, I, I feel really lucky that early in my career, I was on boards, both with some really interesting characters and with some great board members. And I think you, 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 from those experiences, and you're right, I think it's only through the time spent that you learn what really great work as a director looks like. I remember listening to Steve Krauss, uh, who was at USVP, still is at USVP. I remember listening to Steve Krauss early in my career when he was giving a management team feedback. And he was so good at telling them in the most constructive way possible, you're doing well, but not as well as you could be doing. <laughs> and, and he was able to do this in a way that didn't make them feel bad, didn't diminish their achievements, but kind of helped point them in the right direction. And, you know, I, I think we, we, this is still truly an apprenticeship business where, where boards are concerned. I also realized from a few characters I met early in my career that, that part of, part of the job of a good director is at times to protect the company. <laughs> And to protect the management team and to make sure that, you know, that the right things happen in board meetings and that the wrong things don't happen. And I got further in my career and starting to help people plan their next financing, being attuned to those sort of dynamics, particularly with new people joining the board, I think uh, it turned out to be really important. Well, Raju's got that great line. If you if you remember, do you remember the line that you always say, Raju? I have so many of your lines because I spent too much time with you. What about the life cycle of a company and, and board meetings? No, I can't remember. There's only between three and five board meetings that really matter right. to the eventual outcome of a company. And you don't know which ones. Is the, <laughs> so you better show up. <laughs> yeah, you got to show up. You got to be prepared. <laughs> and like for the rest of it, it's not about phoning it in. It's just about like it's kind of the nose in, fingers out, right? Is like, you know, you're not running the company. These, you know, the team that you invested in is running the company. They are the experts in the company. They're, the, you know, like of their domain and their customer set. And like, you know, to a certain extent, I've, I've kind of compared being a, like, what is the value of a board member? You know, one aspect is kind of like, I don't know if you guys have ever written like a hundred page essay of like comparative literature. I remember I had to write one in college and I, you know, read these books like three times each and wrote a you know, 100 page paper comparing these two books. And I remember I just, you know, you're writing so much and, you, you know, it kind of at the end, it was like, am I like, did I even say anything? You know, like, did it, does this make sense? And I needed, it's, it's going to your friends who are willing to go through your 100 page thing and like just say, well, you know, yeah, you made it. This is your point. I think it would be strengthened if you move this a little bit around. And it's just like, it's, you're not an editor necessarily, but it's just giving feedback because these teams are just throwing themselves at this problem or at this tech and their customers and living, eating, sleeping, breathing their company. And as Will says, like pouring their life force into this into this company, you know, to a certain extent, I think like the board is like just coming up for like a little gulp of air. <laughs> before you just resubmerge back into your your own little world and you want to get like great feedback and kind of like you know are we on track and is this good and is this tracking to whatever like that's what i feel like is 
part of the role. And it's not every time that you're like, you know, have these massive strategic things where we got to go do this or, you know, double down on this area or completely cut this area. Those like critical boards that you're talking about, Raju, but I always thought that was a great phrase. I've lived it. I've lived it. Uh, you know, the, the, it's it's hard because, you know, there's micro adjustments and macro adjustments that you can make at the board level. And you don't want to do a lot of macro adjustments. <laughs> you do, you really don't. And and that's the problem, right? Like what Will was talking about is absolutely true, like protecting the company. Sometimes you get into a situation where it's like, there's a handful of board members that just want a head. You know, you step back and you're like, mm, guys, like, let's just relax. This isn't a head taking opportunity or a moment. You know, this is, you know, we've gotten, you know, let's get more data. Let's figure out whether we're really at a stopping point with the CEO or, you know, the product line's really not working. Radical decisions. Sometimes you have to protect the company, allow them to do the work to figure out whether it's the right answer or not um, before the board just kind of just, you know, off with his head or, you know, guillotine. I, I do think you're right, though. Which, to be clear, like, is <laughs> I think I think there's this sense that it's like, oh, this happens all the time. Right. There's like everybody's like bloodthirsty, like out for blood. And there's, you know, there's a lot of time negotiating, you know, term sheets where it's like, well, you know, like. <laughs> Just making sure that I can't be removed. And it's like, my goal, I'm investing in you. Like, you know, I unless you are outwardly lying or, you know, like actively destroying the business, you know, that, that these things like they really, they don't, they don't really come up and they shouldn't. Right. If we're, we're all doing the right thing. But I think there is this fear and they see it, I, you know, like my, that, that was to my comment a little bit earlier is like the overreaction in the opposite direction is also not good, right? And I think a lot of entrepreneurs just got their fears very validated. They're like, oh man, a board can just remove you out of nowhere. And I think the reality is like, that's that's incredibly, incredibly, incredibly rare. And nobody wants to, right? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. This is the team, like you build a rapport. It might not be, you know, it's like that rapport is so important. And I, I you were talking about this a little bit earlier. I forget if it was you, Will, or, or you, Raju, but, oh, I guess it was Raju. About the, like, it's not about harmony. And I think that's, you know, to a certain extent about our, I think our partnership's great because we have such a long history together that like we can push back on each other without pushing against each other. And I think that's like kind of what you're looking for as well, where you can have a critical conversation that might be uncomfortable, but it's not like you, you, you've invested a bunch of time into understanding where that comes from and that, yeah. yeah. And rebuilding that takes a long time. I gotta be honest, like the, the, the best thing boards can do and I think very few of them do it, is spend time with the management team and learn their predispositions. Because the reality is, every board's different. You know, certain companies, you're sitting there saying like, oh, okay, this is a shiny penny, you know, management team. Their tendency is to sort of be very hopeful that there's, you know, they've got a, a silver bullet here in, in something that's marginal. Others are really, really slow to scale. They... You know, they just want to, they're perfectionists, if you will, you know, and then there are others that sit there and say, you know, they just, they're not exploratory. They're not exploring how adjacencies can, you know, help build this business or there's other markets. If you know the board, if you know the management team and you know the CEOs, it's the only way that you can effectively you know, manage the board, uh, manage the company and be a good board member. That, that That's the reality. And I think, you know, th we, we all like to say one size fits all. Like, you know, we're... Just that's my favorite phrase. I love it. I say it hundreds of times a day. One size fits all. <laughs> 
You've got you got a lot of gloves from Uniqlo because you can just like all day one size fits all. You know what I mean? <laughs> Sorry, I uh, this just struck me a little bit. Go ahead, Reggie. Yeah, but that's that's the trick. I got asked, and I'm sure you do too, Jason and Will. Really, do we have to get into like, do you have to meet the management team? You know, like how much diligence is required here? And we don't do extraordinary amounts of diligence, but the whole point of diligence in my mind, well, there's two points, right? One is figure out whether you make the investment, there's big holes in the company or like something that we're not looking at right. But the second is to prepare you to be a board member. That's the whole thing. It prepares you to be a board member so that you go in sitting there saying, okay, this company is really gun shy about scaling or they're aggressive, they're, they're, you know, more starts with die from indigestion than starvation. They try to do too many things. They're defocused, you know, so they have something good here. You know, my job is to help them do X, Y, or Z. It's tricky. It's tricky to get right. You know, during this conversation, it properly occurred to me that there really isn't a a great way to learn how to be a great board member. No. Which is kind of surprising because it's pretty important to our industry and our our jobs. Well, so, and the thing is, if you could sit there and select the three or four boards that are so different from one another, you could learn it in a year or two, right? Because these are the, these are the five you know kinds of boards there are. But the problem is, it, it might take you twenty years <laughs> to experience those differences weirdly. And I think that's also like a lot of why you see you know successful founders like just go back to the same group. I mean, there's a certain amount of like, oh, you know reputation of the brand of the firm, but you'll see successful entrepreneurs who had like, you know, their early investors were kind of like, maybe not as recognizable brands and they go right back. Right. And that, you know, I think like there's a certain amount of like, yeah, well, I have that working relationship. I, I know that they're good board members looking out for the company. I have, I have an existing relationship with them. I know how they work. I know that they're going to push me where I need to be pushed and let me run the business in the areas that they're not experts in you know, unless there's something massively wrong comes up. So, well, I don't know what this statement is, but I think I heard this once, which is the average quality board lasts longer than most marriages. <laughs> so, so you better <laughs> pick the right people that are sitting around the table. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Seven to 10 year journey with somebody, man. Oh, yeah. You better, you better yeah, like it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot, but it's fun. It's honestly, it is my, it is the most fun part of the, part of the jobs. People are like, oh man, you got so many, it's like, no, I actually really enjoy the board meetings. It's great. Thank you for listening to RRE POV. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at RRE on Twitter, or shall I say X. Or RRE.com. And on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. We'll see you next time.